0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome to the Coachable Podcast. Around here, we believe that life is the ultimate training ground for finding out what you are truly made of. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, high-performance coach and breathwork facilitator. And each week, I share intimate conversations and inspirational stories from some of the world's most successful people. It's time to stop standing on the sidelines of your life and get your head and your heart back in the game. So take a seat, grab a pen, because you're going to want to take notes as I pull back the curtain on the tools, resources, and inspiration that you need to unlock your inner champion. What is up? Welcome back to the Coachable Podcast. I am your host, Tori Gordon, and I'm so glad that you have joined me for another episode of this show. This is where you come to get weekly inspiration, motivation for your personal growth journey. And I am very excited for this week because I'm going to give you a taste of what has been our number one all-time most loved episode. We are going to re-release this episode that I did with Mark Groves, who is none other than a relationship expert. He is founder of Create the Love and the Mark Groves podcast. He is so phenomenal about teaching interpersonal communication, how to break up with codependency, how to deal with conflict in your relationships, how to create the love that you desire, and I know that especially now that things are, the seasons are changing, we're moving into cuffing season, if you will. It's getting colder. People want to snuggle up with their honey, but some of us are single. Some of us are not in a relationship and that's completely okay, but I know there are many of you that listen to this show that do want to create a healthy type of love and I think this episode is the perfect kind of anecdote to that. It gives you a lot of valuable insights into what might be blocking you from creating the love that you desire and also how you can remove those blocks and redefine relationships in a way um, that work for you, how to create a relationship that is Not one that's codependent or issue-based, but one that really is a container for healthy love and healing and healthy connection. So I want you guys to listen to this episode, take notes, and let us know what your biggest takeaways were. We know that you've loved this episode in the past, and so those of you who are new to this, this channel and to this podcast, I don't want you to miss it. So without further ado... Let's jump into this week's episode. Love that you desire. Well, I I want to appreciate appreciate you and thank you for taking time to to do this yeah. and have this conversation. And, Excited to chat with you. Um, I am too. I you know your your work has deeply deeply impacted me and my life, and um, you know I think I resonate and connect with you because you are you're a truth seeker and a truth teller and that's kind of my one of my biggest values in life and if not the one thing that that I seek to do and is most important and meaningful to me and in the work that I do and I, I I see that and I feel that from you in in your work and so you know this show is all about bringing those people together and um, magnifying those voices. And so today I kind of, you know, just want to have a open discussion about, about love and relationships and all of what comes along with that. And, um, you know, I'm curious for you, like this being your work that you do all day, every day, what is it that like how would you define like the purpose of relationships? What do you think all this is about? Why do we have to like be in community, be in connection? What's the purpose of all of this? And why are we in these containers of all different types?
2: Well, first off, um, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your dedication to the mission of truth which i think can be you know sometimes a really abstract thing i think it's often abstract and uh, you know i think what's not abstract and uh, and not even subjective but rather just true uh is that on a very fundamental biological level we need each other you know and i think there's a lot of response to relational dynamics that we've inherited, you know, through whatever means you might think, um, and and are certainly real, like the relational structures of the patriarchy, looking at ads from the 1950s, you know, we're all inheritors of that relationship structure. And so there's also been a, a large sort of rebellion or backlash or pivot to this other end of like, I don't need anybody, I don't need you. And I think that's, you know, it's because we equate Need with loss of self or um, connection or relationship with actually being a space of self abandonment and a space of not feeling safe or nurtured or okay to self express. And that's so real. It's, you can't negate people's experience of that and observing their parents' experience of that and their grandparents. And especially depending on where you come from around the world, a lot of that still exists. You know, we're, we're in sort of a repurposing or a reframing or a reimagining. Uh, what relationship can be and you know we we used to get all our needs met from a village and now we seek all that from relationship as esther perel talks about and yet we don't have the skill set to really nurture and expand love within the relationship container because we didn't inherit relationship containers that were structured on love and Mm -hmm. so we need them because on a very biological level being in healthy relationships heals us. It it nurtures us. Uh, if you look at the Harvard well-being study, which is the longest running study on happiness and well-being, uh, it's now looking at second and third generations of that study. And it shows that your health at age 80 is great. Pre- most predicted by not your blood pressure, not your cholesterol, none of those things that we would imagine, but by the quality of your relationships at age 50 and in some ways, really, and it didn't have to be romantic, it's relationships of all kinds. And so in some ways, being in a healthy relationship actually made hard days less hard. It um, protected from cognitive decline. Um, and, and so there's a the real biological part. And I think the more important, maybe we might see it as like a spiritual or a purposeful intention of relationship is that, it literally magnifies everything we're not good at. So, so mm-hmm. it is an invitation to the highest, most wise, most expanded version of ourselves, and we might say our soul's greatest expression. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, to meet that or to receive that, uh, you must turn towards the challenges in relationship with humility and curiosity, which, of course, usually means grief, sadness, anger, rage, um, and, and shame. Mm -hmm. And can we hold all of that and recognize that it informs us rather than is there in a a punitive way? Um, and can we hold all that, you know, sort of the anger as you look up your family tree and you're like, no one taught me how to communicate. And now Mm -hmm. what my partner most needs from me is that skill uh, to both be enraged, and to use that grief, that rage, to actually be curious and expand our capacity and our skill set, because it's it's a skill. It's not reserved. Uh, it's not a privilege. It's yeah. it's literally an opportunity. I'd say that the one. Advantage that people can have is if a previous generation started doing this work mm-hmm. or experienced, uh, you know, when I, i I actually will rescind my say, it's not a privilege because if you are part of inherited patterns of trauma, then you're more likely to have uh, different survival strategies and coping mechanisms relationally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And I think as the coachable podcast and why I wanted to have you on this show, you know, being coachable means, you know, to be committed and available to getting better and to to growth. And overall, you know, I think what you're saying is the relationships are containers where we present two people, present the opportunity for mutual growth. Mm -hmm. And it's in that container that that becomes available. And it's not something that think a lot of us sometimes we're like i just want to grow on my own and do my own thing (laughs) but what what i know to be true because this has been my own personal experience and then same with the work that i do with my clients is it's where in the context of relationships is where our deepest wounds happen but it's also the requirement for where our deepest healing can happen too
2: yeah yeah you know it's keep going please
1: no, I, I mean, I I just think that um, that's the that's the paradox. It's like as we become more aware and awake to kind of some of the things that you were talking about, the survival strategies that might we might have adopted or just picked up, whether it was in childhood or have been passed down to us from generations, we begin to notice that in the context of relationships, and that was how it was personally for me. Time and time again, I saw the same types of things play out in my relationships, whether it was the way they ended or the way, the types of people I was attracted to, or, you know, my tendency to, uh, you know, be really, really invested and and then passively kind of push people away uh, in this unconscious way. Over time, I started to see, okay, there's a link here to all of these things (laughs) and starting to move out of Of the context of the relationships are here to serve me and to give something to me into this idea of how have i perpetuated these experiences over and over how have i created this and how can i move into this concept that maybe my partner or my friends or whoever isn't here just to give to me but we're mutually deciding to to help each other heal and grow and expand and that is a different way of looking at, at the relationships that we're in, I think, because most people, and I would love to get your take on this is what can you do for me? What can you give to me this idea Mm -hmm. that, that, and I think this, this myth really that if we find the right person, uh, they'll take all of our pain away.
2: (laughs) No, (laughs) wouldn't that be nice. mm -hmm. Uh, Just like the right car the right shirt, the right drug, the right, whatever. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's when you, when you, you, what you're speaking to, this like sense of responsibility and sort of mutual mirroring to one another, what's possible, what we want to occur, but also knowing that like when I trigger you and you trigger me, it's not one sided. You know, the relational dance, we'd like to say that it's all them. And we often, you know, I remember hearing Michelle Obama talking about going to therapy with Barack and, uh, you know, going there and dumping all this stuff on, mm. on the therapist and expecting the therapist to be like, all right, Brock, here's all your shit. And he, she was, <laughs> she started to realize she was part of it. And, mm. and I, you know, there's just a beautiful truth in that, that we're hundred percent responsible for our 50%. And that can be painful when we think about experiencing betrayal, uh, because we still participate, which doesn't mean we're responsible for the other person's behavior. But I, you know, that's the one that maybe the hardest truths to hold and certainly um, has been true for me, too, is can I hold the possibility that there's something for me here, even though it was traumatizing, even though it was Mm -hmm. painful? And I think I think the perspective can often be that that negates the experience of being a victim. And I think it really is about this bridge between both that that we can be a victim and we can't live there Mm -hmm. and and. I just think there's such a profound truth in knowing. Can you sit in that space of both worlds? And I think that's the same. That's true of like the way I used to be in a relationship, and the way I want to be. The way I used to show up in um, my relationship to my health, and the way I want to. We are always in this transitionary period between old information and new information, old pains and new wisdom. And because innate in all struggle is wisdom, is something informing us and you know that's really what emotion is emotion informs us to evoke motion right to do something and i've only really begun to like learn how to live in this space which is that space of transition that we think we're going to get to this place where we're a finished product not realizing that it's just actually this ever evolving expansion and you know you said before like why do we end up thinking this person's going to heal or save the day? And, you know, that's still not adulting, right? Because it's still the child or the teenager seeking for someone else to bring completion to an unrealized or unhealed wound. That's, I would say 99.99999% of the time uh, inherited. And so when you look up your family tree and you Maybe ask yourself, what is the thing I want most in my relationship and I just never get? Uh, If you look up your family tree, you're not the first person to not get that. and You're not the first person to want that. And you're also might be the first person to stop seeking it and waiting for it and -hmm. actually provide it to yourself. And when you begin that state of self-reclamation and responsibility and sovereignty, then you no longer energetically enter a relationship from this place of, I need you to complete me. You're going to make me happy. You're going to make me enough, which is far too much conscious and unconscious pressure because what your partner will likely say is nothing I ever do is enough because literally nothing they can do is enough because we have to show up in our own space in our own capacity and stop seeking. I think a a partner can mirror the need for healing or even provide us with love we've never received or experienced before. Uh, And it's our work to not sabotage it, to not avoid it, to not walk away from it, but to learn how to trust it. And that's really hard to do if we've experienced historical pain and, and trauma and suffering and a break of trust because, you know, what is the ultimate reason we can't step into receiving love or why we seek avoidant people or unavailable people is not because we don't want loving, beautiful relationships. It's because we just don't trust them,
1: you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was having this conversation and this is really just relevant in my own life. You know, I started doing this work on myself several years ago, but the way I've watched it kind of transform even. So recently I lost my mom back in, in 2018. And as a result of that, um, it was a catalyst for me to do some deeper inner healing, um, Mm -hmm. that I'd definitely been repressing over a long period of time, stretch of time after I'd lost my sister and some other family members, there was a lot of loss at a, in a really short amount of time. And so her death sparked this opportunity for me to finally stop avoiding and to look at that stuff and and it was after her passing that there were that I started to look up the family tree right and started mm-hmm. to look at at their my parents relationship and and so on and so forth and there were questions that I wanted to ask that I was not able to ask I had to ask my dad and said to get to know her and so I have felt so much in my own personal life that I was trying to to understand myself and why I was the way I was and why I made choices or did certain things by trying to understand her because the women, I didn't have my sister really look to after she passed in uh, when she was 23. And so I was always trying to look for women that modeled, you know, who I was and, you know, that experience of starting to do that, Inquiry within yourself within your own family and look Boldly at the truth of what what is and what was taught to me um, Mm -hmm. What were my examples that can be? excruciating and painful and um, really Confronting because I think the thing that's transformed for me what I thought I was working on for so many years has even recently come to light that my idea of what was in terms of like my parents' relationship, I had this perception of what it was in my own mind. I think we do this with our parents, right? We put them, we don't really see them as real people as humans (laughs) with, with lives and paths and dreams. You know, we see them as, as parents who should know how to love us. And, um, and I didn't really think beyond that until I started to work through my own stuff and have these really intense and important conversations with my dad and I started to understand wow my mom wasn't exactly the way I pictured her I had her you know framed in my mind and she had deep things that that she kept to herself and shame probably that she carried and so there's this ever unraveling and unfolding that's happening like you said there is not this destination it's it's constantly like a flower kind of coming open and you kind of receive it as it comes because i've had to release my own judgment of myself right around oh i should know you know this by now, or I've been through this enough and yeah. I've done enough personal work. And I know there are a lot of people listening to this show that do a lot of their own personal work, but there are always things coming to light that are being, you know, um, just coming up that is another opportunity invitation into deeper, deeper relationship to ourselves and the people in our lives and I think it brings up this idea of what we were talking about earlier is truth because what was true for me then right I was so convinced this is truth Mm -hmm. and then you get new information and you're like oh wait what what's real what's true is this me is this a generational thing that's been passed down to me was, I thought this was, you know, something that I was struggling with personally. Maybe I thought I was broken. And, um, so I think I've even experienced that. And I think it's important for people to hear, you know, this, this journey and this healing, uh, that happens in and in the context of relationships is, is certainly evolving and, and it's critical to, to bring that non judgment of where what is it supposed to look like, you know, because there are so many of us who've been, I think, really uh hurt by these ideas of what things are supposed to or should look like, whether that's the context of marriage or relationships or anything like that.
2: Yeah, I mean that context of expectation. What is it? Expectation is the thief of joy. I think it's something mm-hmm. like that. And You know, I hear people will often say to me, like, I don't believe in marriage. And I'm like, just redefine it. You know, words are just agreements. They're agreements. And I can say tree and you might think of a spruce tree and I might think of a birch tree. You know, same idea with marriage. And I don't mean to minimize it, but it's like, I don't believe in it. No, you don't believe in a construct of a relationship that was unhealthy. And you called it marriage. Someone else called it marriage and you kept that definition. And, you know, it shows you how much we uh become prisoners to inherited stories you know to inherited ways of behavior like we're imprisoned with our feet cemented in the ground in reactivity or defensiveness or anger or rage or abuse or whatever it is and you know i, I always want to preface it all i'm like not saying with this without compassion for people who are in abusive situations and things like that and not blaming uh anyone in those situations get out get help you know obviously and the the idea that our childhood should have been different than it was or our first relationship should have or anything that's historical that we're saying I should have had a different experience we become we create this alternative world that I'd be different now and life would be different now And, and what we're doing is we're really missing the opportunity to fully show up now you know it's When I regret something, regret is one of the most interesting things because it becomes this prison. It's like, had I not said that thing, we'd still be together and life would be different. Or had I not done that thing at work, I'd now be da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that is the gift of hindsight. That's the gift of. Looking back and being like, oh, now I'm wiser because of that experience. And so we actually reject the very memory, the very moment that actually bridges us to a better version of ourselves. And so in rejecting the moment, not accepting that I didn't have that conversation, I'm actually not bridged to a more elevated version of myself. And I'm forever hoping and replaying the past moment, missing all of the moments that are actually the same, that are offering might be a different person might be a different circumstance but literally the world is presenting to us uh, miracles in every moment and we're missing them because we're stuck and you know it could be for many reasons due to the fact we've never we we saw in our family tree that someone held on to something and used it and weaponized it and you know i often hear people say like i'm never gonna move on look how much they hurt me who they don't you know most of the time, they don't actually know that you're doing that, that you're like imprisoning yourself to martyr yourself to say to them, look how much you hurt me. Mm-hmm. Instead, take the look how much you hurt me and say never again and build the type of person, the type of behaviors, the type of choices that don't get back into the same situation. You know, freezing your self in time, avoiding relationships doesn't make you better at them. It doesn't make you healed. You know, I see so much of that hyper individuation that says, I don't, as I started at the beginning saying, I don't need anybody, Mm -hmm. but like someone actually does need you and you do actually need somebody. And there's a beauty to that. There's a, and there's a truth in that, that you can't even deny, even behind the greatest walls and the greatest armor, there's still a beating heart. And there's something about allowing yourself to step back in and know that the way of, learning to trust love or whatever it might be again is actually to go to all the ages that are younger versions of you that you've exiled that you've rejected because you have shame or because you have regret and to actually invite them back into your life and and, and sit them down like wise counsel and say what can you teach me it's all the moments that we don't want to look at they're all tied up in a box put in you know our shadow and they come out Of course they come out because they have something to say, but they could have something to say that's expansive rather than something to say that actually sabotages or destroys possibility. Because really ultimately what they're asking for when they sabotage is for us to look in the box and say, sit down, wise counsel, tell me what I can learn from you so that I don't repeat the same behavioral choices and relational patterns so that I can trust again. So the trust is in the parts of ourselves that we've
1: exiled, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does because I think what you're talking about is this missed opportunity for greater intimacy with ourselves because the ego really seeks to control and guilt. And so we end up guilting ourselves, especially if you, we regret something, then we make ourselves wrong. Right. We make ourselves guilty and then we punish ourselves because if we're guilty, there always has to be a punishment and we imprison ourselves and we, block out love, thinking it's protection, but we're not letting love in which we deeply desire. And I think what the, the spiritual journey or just the journey of healing in general leads us to is, you know, away from that ego that seeks to to defend and protect and be right and all of those things into a more spiritual relationship, in general, with life and with with others, which seeks intimacy through acceptance and release, mm-hmm. and and I've s- seen this you know play out so often in in my own life and in the lives of those that I love is this fear of release. You know, one of the things that I talk about is that relationships are are eternal. You know, um, because relationships we're, as humans, we're not just physical bodies, you know, we're energy and energy is, continues on. And so just because of the, an ending of one chapter of a relationship might be the ending of the context of that container, but that relationship continues in a different form. And even through releasing, I think that's, to let them be, let them go, let that thing go. And not staying attached to what we think should have been or how we should have acted actually invites us into a greater love um, for them or for, for ourselves or for that whole situation. Knowing that what was had to be because if it was meant to be another way, it would have been. I think that's something that has really helped me in my life is recognizing like what happened in the past happened and it really couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't. <laughs> and I didn't need, I didn't have the tools to show up in that relationship or to hold that space for that partner when they really needed me. And it's not a get out of jail free card. Like you're off the hook, but it's, it's grace for the times where we, we didn't have, we didn't know better. You know, we didn't have the tools.
2: Yeah. I think of, you know, what you shared about your sister and your mother, um, sorry to hear about your loss and you know i think you know it can feel when someone's like yeah but in the loss is purpose and blah blah and when you're in grief you're like fuck off first off and you're like i can't find purpose in loss in loss Uh, and i i think that that's often the response to sort of loss is just not wanting people to feel the grief right and so we try to save people from feelings we don't are not comfortable sitting in. And so if I haven't sat in grief and discovered its magic and its beauty and its invitation to, oh my gosh, so much to being rooted to the earth, to, to learning to sit in suffering and, and to see the just love in it, the invitations and not to minimize the pain of it, but when Like if someone else is going through a breakup or experiences loss, I don't try to save them from it. Because to me, I'm like, you are in one of the most beautiful containers that, you know, society has really created this idea to avoid darkness, to avoid pain. If you're in depression or you're sad, we tell you to go see the doctor and get a pill and I'm not sharing an opinion on whether that's right or not. What I'm saying is that there's actually, we've coded negative emotions, right? Like we code some feelings as negative when they're not, they're not, they're neither nor good or bad. They just are. And if you're not sad and paying attention right now in the world, I'd be shocked. You know, if you're not sad and in an abusive marriage or a relationship that's completely disconnected or experienced betrayal or haven't used your voice ever or self-abandon all the time, like if you're not sad, I would be shocked. And I think so much of what Western culture especially has taught, and this I think feeds into the pharmaceutical model and the way that we poison people with the processed foods that we have and food access and all the issues there is that there's this removal of the wisdom of what you are and who you are there's this gaslighting of your innate mm-hmm. intelligence and for if you're listening, you listening might not know what gaslighting is it's basically like someone denying our experience mm. and so when someone says like, I'm sad. And we said, you shouldn't be sad. You're not sad. Or I'm excited. Like, calm down. You know, any denial of any of emotion causes us to lose trust in ourselves. And so, you know, when we start to, when we have a feeling or an experience and we think what's wrong with me, that I, whatever it might be, feel this way or am this way, instead of what's right with me, that I'm informing myself, that I'm responding to this experience in the way that's innately wise for me, that, look, it's not going to fit into the model of what you've seen because what you've seen and witnessed is to not trust yourself. So if you go to someone in above generations who's never used their voice, never claimed themselves, never spoken their fucking truth, never owned their life, and you say, give me advice, it's not going to be own your life, claim your truth, stand in your power. It's going to be shut the fuck up, And like go back in the box and be small because you're scaring me because I'm small too. Mm -hmm. And you're reminding me of all the things I've never done. Or if you're on the other side of someone who is in power and tries to create smallness and powerlessness, it's going to create a ton of fear because now you're being met. And Mm so it's hard to look up family trees and look for the answer or the opinion or the thing or even up generations because – We are the first generations, and I don't mean that arrogantly, I mean that opportunistically, whatever that word is, (laughs) that that actually have more space, have, I mean, look at the internet, it's shared consciousness, you know, it's incredible. When I was going through a breakup in junior high or high school, I couldn't Google how to get over a breakup, I just listened to (laughs) boys to men end of the road and (laughs) marinated in that shit, you know, which I think there's a gift to that. But gosh, we're all, uh, we're all healers. We're all teachers because if Mm -hmm. you've been through something and you navigated it, you can usher people through it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I think we're in this beautiful time that I hope that the integration and the opportunity to sit with what is uncomfortable, which connects us to so much, it connects us to the, you know, when I went through my breakup a year ago, a year and a half ago, um, I just remember the grief that I experienced wasn't just this grief. It was old grief that I'd never sat in. And I was so, i was sober, so first time I went through a breakup without, you know, a pint glass to comfort my, yeah. my uh, pain. And what I realized is I thought I was paying attention before. I thought I was noticing the world. I thought I was aware of things. Uh, but oh my god i wasn't I, I i was asleep to so much and i think you know you can't be paying attention and not experience suffering like you can't because you can't watch first off don't watch the fucking news because that's the worst thing ever but you can't walk down a street and not experience suffering you can't look in the eyes of another human and not just experience in an empathic level mm-hmm. the suffering they've endured and I and mean, that's what relationships are for, are to witness each other and to walk each other in this journey, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, how did you, a year ago, sitting in that grief and, and feeling like the veil in another way was like lifted and you're like, I see things now that I didn't see before when I thought I was paying attention is there as you said that i felt a fear my own fear come in of i thought i thought i like i thought i understood this or i thought i was paying attention and then i wasn't and then how do you go through that without it feeding a distrust in yourself right that i thought i could trust myself and I thought I knew what was happening and I was paying attention but now I see right there's another Mm -hmm. light that's been turned on and once you the light turns on you can't turn it back off you can't unsee it right because it's that veil that gets lifted that can feel like a shock and there's that integration period after of letting things kind of when that light comes on letting your eyes adjust to this new new reality I, I don't know why I just felt my own, my own fear come in of, Oh, but I thought I knew it. And now I don't. And this, how to, how to not let that fuel like a distrust in yourself as you yeah, continue I mean, to, to lean into, you know, your own inner knowing.
2: I mean, such a, it's such a juicy question. Such a good question because, you know, at the beginning, I talked about how do you be this bridge? How do you always be the bridge? you know and, and and because you're always learning you're always transitioning and i think part of that is always operating with grace that your identity is not this fixed static thing your knowledge is not this fixed static thing and if you can actually make that part of your values then knowing that what you used to know isn't right today actually becomes an incredible award it becomes an incredible moment of celebration because you're like oh i got disproven again wow like now There's so much more, you know, I had a friend the other day who said, I just feel like my reality wasn't real. Mm -hmm. Like other people's experience of me was different than my experience. And I said, good. Cause that means you're waking up to a whole nother version of your totality, your potential, your possibility, blind spots. And, you know, that's the reason it, it, you always have to sit in that complexity, that mul- you know, the sort of multitudes of what it means to be human, which is to both grieve and be excited, to both lose and gain. And you know, it's I, I um Francis Weller, who's a psychotherapist, gives and, and soul activist, I love his work, and he says mm-hmm. the act of alchemy The transformation of, of, you know, raw material into gold or whatever it might be, but we can think of it as the transformation of, of, of pain into, into higher wisdom. Um, he said alchemy doesn't care about the alchemist. Like the actual act of transformation doesn't give a shit about your feelings. Mm. And there's truth in that, right? There's truth that, you know, when you think about the caterpillar, the cuck, the cocoon doesn't give a shit about the caterpillars feelings. And you can imagine the caterpillar is going through this thing, like what the fuck is happening in my back? There's wings coming out of me. There's, I don't know what's going on. They don't know that they're about to be something different. And I think when we can just sort of surrender and let go to the process while walking it and trust in its greater delivery of us, that then we can, we can sort of meet these moments of, Um, well, why didn't I get it right? And I can't believe I thought I knew, which destabilizes us Mm. because there's this idea that knowing will protect us and control some future or some outcomes. And really we know that that thinking you know how things are going to work out is the quickest way to be disappointed (laughs) as opposed to recognizing that. You're always in a cocoon. You're always in an alchemical process and you're always a butterfly and you're always a caterpillar. And I think in all different areas of your life. And I think when we can connect back to just the simple beauty of that, there's something freeing about it. I mean, I hope I don't, I don't, it is for me, but I don't know for other people.
1: No, I think there is. I mean, it speaks to the complexity and the multidimensionality of what it means to be human and right. You know, to when I, there's, I can't remember where I heard it, but there's this kind of story about, you know, if you're broken open, if you're looking at an egg, right, you're holding an egg and you're broken, somebody hits it from the outside, from the external, it feels like a death. And it feels excruciating and painful and you're broken. But then if that shell and that egg actually breaks open from the inside, it's actually a birth of, of new life. Mm, it's and It's beautiful. And I think that's what's happening every time we kind of see with new eyes and new vision and new sight is that rebirthing. And it's the story that we tell ourselves about that experience. If it's, oh, a, there was a death of who I was up until now, or if there's a birth of a new version right. of me in this moment. and. You know, as I mentioned earlier about my mom and learning more and more about the truth of of who she really was as a woman, not just my small perception of her as a child. I was reminded of the insane power that we have to create our reality based on what we believe to be true.
2: Mm, Right.
1: I mean, I was convinced like that. I knew her and there were so many things I did know, but you know, there's more, more gets revealed. And like your friend said, I I felt like my reality wasn't real, but it's based on what we really believe. And that's our whole, all of our results, all of our day-to-day experiences, all of our suffering or, or lack thereof is a result of what we believe is real. And then that gets you know, that changes. And we can change that whenever we decide. That's the crazy thing. I can just start to believe something new. Like I can just decide to define marriage my own way, like you said earlier. You guys, if you love this show, do me a favor, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you feel called, leave a review. I would love to hear how the show is impacting you. But not only that, be a hero to somebody and share it with somebody in your life that needs to hear it. If you're getting value from it, I can guarantee it that someone else that you know would get value as well. And honestly, I wouldn't be here if somebody didn't share with me a podcast episode a couple years ago that absolutely changed my life and set me on the course that I am today. And I'm eternally grateful for that person. And you can be that person to someone else. So share it. Share the love because... You matter, they matter, and what you have to say matters. So I would love to hear if there's something in this episode that really stands out to you and is a ha aha moment. Send me an email to media at torigordon.com. Let me know what it was that stuck out to you. What was your aha moment? Maybe where and around what time in the podcast that really spoke to you. Because my team and I love to hear that. We love to see and hear exactly what is speaking to your heart. And it's helps us to serve you better. So please like, subscribe, share. You are helping this podcast continue to grow and get out to larger audiences that can help shape the world and bring more and light, love, and healing to it. So thank you for your contribution. And let's get on to the podcast.
2: Yeah. It's a mind-blowing possibility. And then I and again, there's this acknowledgement that's necessary for the trap we've lived in that we thought someone else's belief was ours. And, and there's mourning there and there's rage there. I, when you start asking, why do I do what I do? And you inevitably end up in your family tree, you wake up to the fact that you've always had a choice. And, you know, there's a poem from Rumi that goes something like, why do you stay in the prison when the door's right there? And I think, you know, there's, Sometimes it's safer to just stay there. You know, it is safer to stay there. That's why we stay there. But, you know, when you tell someone like, hey, you can go do that dream, you can leave that relationship, you can start that one, you can heal that thing. It might be outside of the paradigm of what they thought was possible. And I, you know, think of healing modalities that someone's told that they can't recover from a thing or they can't heal a thing. And all you got to do is watch that documentary heal and your mind gets shattered, you know? Yeah. And. And you see that this myopic view you've been given of the world, um, much like what we're experiencing currently, it becomes a narrative that we can get trapped in not honoring the complexity. I, you know, I, there's a line from Ram Das where he says, miracles are just a way of reminding us that we don't know how it works. And we see miracles all the time. Like the other day I was, thinking about something and, the, and i needed in information i'm like oh i need to learn about this thing i got a freaking random message from a friend that's like hey i discovered this center and i just wanted to send it to you and let you know it was really helpful and i was like what like what are the chances i've never asked this question before and i get that and and i think when we can just open to the possibility of that there's an overwhelm because I think we we sort of look back on every moment until the moment we take responsibility for our lives. And we look back and we were essentially sleepwalking. And we have to grieve that because whatever age you decide that you want to do it, uh, you're going to grieve every moment up until the moment you do it, that you didn't do it. And then your mind is shattered. You know, I know in your work, you create that possibility that that these conversations create that possibility for people that like, wait, I remember working with this woman once when I used to work one-on-one and I remember her saying like, wait, so I don't have to go on a second date with people I don't really like? And I was like, hell no. Like mm-hmm. one, you shouldn't even go on a first date if you're not sure you shouldn't like you don't like yeah. them. But somewhere along the line, someone taught her that that was the ladylike thing to do and you don't want to hurt men's feelings and blah, blah, blah. Huh. You know that all those frameworks exist within our bodies and it's a freeing thing. But pff, I mean, it's not easy to change inherited fucking trauma and cycles and systems. I mean, we're all in different layers of... Of intersectionality of oppressive systems. Mm -hmm. And even if you're at the top as would, I would be identified as, and and certainly am, um, as a white straight male, it's, I'm still part of a system even to be systemized, you Mm -hmm. know?
1: Yeah. And, you know, to that point, I think something that I keep being reminded of, and I think to your, what you said earlier we're all just here to you know kind of guide each other home and remind each other of this truth when we forget it's like i wake up to it i remember it i live it i forget it someone else comes right. along Repeat. and reminds me yeah. of that truth you know and then or i have a thought of something i want to create and then out of the blue This thing manifests on its own, and I'm like, "That's crazy!" And then I remember, "Oh yeah." (laughs) You're like, "That's that's way way easier." That's the way the universe works when I'm not attached. And every time, it's like this this surprise. But ultimately, like, I think it's uh, NQ, the poet. I love his work, and yeah, he's brilliant. He was. He always talks about you will always find evidence for what you choose to believe, and like we find whatever we go looking for. And love being right. And that's powerful because you get to be right about what you choose to be right about. Like and I was having this conversation with a woman on TikTok who was fighting so hard (laughs) around uh just this limitation of why it why she can't. That's and um you know, I think when we fight for our limitations, I think it's uh, Wayne Dyer that says this: you get to keep them. Yeah, right. When we <laughs> when we fight for our Amen. limitations, we get to keep them. You but get to be right. Any, yeah, you get to be right. You are right. And anytime we decide that we want something else, we get we can be right about that if we we go looking for the evidence that that that's available, that that's possible. We start to get around people who show us and reflect back to us that that's possible. And, um, you know, that's why I think starting this conversation any for anybody listening and, and kind of who's curious about, oh, how do I get to some of these deeper truths in myself? How do I know is this me or is this my programming? Is this me? Or is this what I've learned? You know, ask yourself and get curious and ask, well, why? Like, why do I feel the need to go on a second date? You know, right? Why? Well, because my mom told me I need to. Right. <laughs> you
2: know? That's how my mom and dad got married. Right. She didn't like him, but that's what you're supposed to do: marry people you don't like. I mean, that we've been taught that. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. stay with people you don't like or respect who are not reliable. Be a reliable, disrespectful person, and someone stays with you. I mean, it's a flawed narrative but we'll keep proving it true till we're okay with not being right. And, right. you know, I always ask people, would you rather be right or connected? You know, and, and you think about the ultimate challenge relationally is that in a conflict or an experience in that moment, based on both people's conditioning and tra- trauma and whatever might be present, both people are right. Mm-hmm. and, look at the divisiveness about politics or insert any subject like gummy bears. It doesn't matter. People are fucking upset about everything. yeah. And it's like, people can't hold two truths at the same time, but all these truths live within us. And so, you know, like there's a part of me that can believe one thing and believe another, you know, there's a part of me that can believe in God and another part of me that's not sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, But those two extremes of people that hate each other generally, not always, um, they are not accepting the part within themselves that believes the opposite. And so if I can hold the complexity of multiple truths within me, then I can hold the complexity of yours. If I know how to sit within the all the emotions i have and all the views i have and even my righteousness and my, i love being right are you kidding mm-hmm. love it you ask any of my friends from growing up i love being right <laughs> not good at being wrong but thankfully i didn't have to experience a lot because i bulldozed to <laughs> everyone who I, I talked was always to right. <laughs> yeah i was always right in my world <laughs> right. and it was because of the sense of shame and unworthiness and vulnerability that possibly being wrong presented and i had You know, my mom was an expert defense defender and I inherited defensiveness and Mm. it took a lot of healing, generational healing Mm -hmm. to stay a little longer, to be a little more tender, to hear someone say, Hey Mark, sometimes you're not open to feedback. You're not good at being wrong. And me saying, tell me more. And now there's a truth that I was terrified of that lived in me that i wasn't right and mm. or that i fucked up or that i hurt somebody mm. and inevitably if you can't look at the parts of yourselves that do that you'll continue to hurt people and and be polarizing mm.
1: you know I and so deeply deeply relate to that because i think this need and obsession with being right is for me it's you know a protector to because if i'm not then i'm wrong and brene brown talks about this the difference in guilt and shame i mean that is Mm -hmm. guilt being i did something wrong shame being i am wrong and this belief that if i'm if i'm not right i'm wrong but i am wrong as a person it's my fault you know and internalizing that belief will lead you to do anything to not feel that way right and so by all means i will fight to the death to prove myself right because i'm desperate to be accepted and loved and to belong and all of the things that that we really we really desire because i think there's this fear that if you see me for who i am and in my uh you know imperfections i'm afraid that you are as judgmental as i am (laughs)
2: Right, 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 which inevitably happens, <laughs> of course, because they yeah, need but each I other. Yeah,
1: as judgmental as I am If in your imperfections in and in your faults, you know, I'm always constantly judging you. I'm also always constantly judging myself, um, and I'm scared that you're as judgmental as I am and you're going to reject me. And, and so uh, there's so much damage that we cause trying to protect ourselves um, and recognizing that what often feels um, counterintuitive or counterproductive in terms of getting the love and and uh, acceptance that we we crave actually feels like the biggest like exposed you're going to see me for all I am and you're going to walk away but that's you know that's the key and I part of relationships i think it's like going to a divine doctor you know and we can't doctors really can't help us if we don't show them our our wounds Mm -hmm. you know our fearful places and they have to be revealed so they can be healed most of us my need to be right is just a fear of showing a deeper wound
2: right and and potentially building a bridge to deeper intimacy that we're not familiar with maybe we've never seen uh we've never experienced we watched our parents never make it past that upper limit that conflict ultimately just constantly repeats a cycle that ends up with the same outcomes and so you know you ask someone hey do you guys fight about the same things like yeah Hey, how does it go? You know, you can usually finish the cycle like, hey, when you do this, it makes me do this, which makes you do this, which makes me do this. So it's like when you raise your voice, I get defensive, which makes you get louder and me leave. And everybody has a cycle. Mona Fishbane talks about it. It's called a vulnerability cycle. You know, Byron Katie has a great line where she says, you can't have war with one person as soon as one, If there's two people, as soon as one puts the arms down, there's no longer a war. And if we're used to war, it's unfamiliar, you know, and, and, you know, you said the line, if I show you all of me, you might walk away. And I think that's such a key line because that's, that's how unworthiness rules our lives in that I continue to not show you all of me and you continue to not see all of me. And we have an agreement that neither of us shows each other all of ourselves. And so I feel like a stranger and you feel like a stranger. And so we have two actors in a relationship, called normal, called life, called stay together till death do us part. And there's a moment that we're invited to share the truth. I miss you, I, I haven't been honest, I'm, I'm not sure who I am anymore. There's a moment where we can take this really courageous leap into truth and into the ether of the magic that lives in the intimacy and the possibility of two people. And when we do that, the other person is then invited to do the same. And, you know, ultimately the relationship either fractures in that moment. Actually, it always fractures in that moment. It's just, does it fracture and expand or does it fracture and collapse? And You know, this idea that if I show you all of me, you might leave is born in that moment. And Mm -hmm. it's like, can as soon as they leave, possibly because it happens, I'm still there though. And I showed all of me. You didn't leave me because I didn't show you all of me. You left because I showed you all of me, but I didn't leave me for you. Mm -hmm. And so we end up in this incredible cocoon, maybe the most painful, transformative cocoon of alchemy, which is... That it's no longer love is born on their choice, thought, feeling, opinion of me, but actually in who I am and how I show up and to enter into conversation or intimacy or conflict and to bear ourselves and guard ourselves. You know, there's this idea that um, I just love all out and I just I'm going to put all my cards on the table and it's like, yes, yes but don't put it on any fucking table. Don't give it to anybody. Like we, I feel like we have these two sort of archetypes that live within us. One is a child who will love all out and give everything. And we might equate that to more codependent collapsing kind of behavior. Um, Some schools of thought might call that the feminine, uh, which is not being equated with weakness, just a survival strategy. Um, And so you have one side that is the child that's unrelenting and we'll get in a van it's not supposed to get into. And then you have this other side that is the warrior that is protective and, and, and rageful and guarded and, um, assertive. And, you know, and you need both. You need to love all out with discernment. You need to protect yourself with an open heart, you know, and, and, and really the integration of both of those things is being an adult and adulting is fucking hard like <laughs> i'm still learning it i'm always learning it you know it's it it is the ultimate form of courage to choose grace in in a moment where we could choose collapse or we could choose to be an asshole um, but to actually choose grace is it's what we need in the world it's what we need right now. It's what we need to treat each other better. It's what we need to love our planet. It's what we need to reclaim our food. It's what we need to reclaim our bodies and reclaim our healing modalities. Um, it's all been hijacked.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you say, like, a, an essential word there is we get to choose. Like, that's the, you know, power of being human we get that conscious choice and i think a lot of times we outsource that choice to conditioned habits you know and we we feel like we don't have a choice we're just doing the same thing we've always done but the truth is we always get to decide do i want to do it again in this moment where i can like you were describing this moment where it's two people with our armor on and and it's like here we are masked, to mask you know what I mean? Yeah. We're calling that love and intimacy, and there's an opportunity right. to choose to take that down and to come heart to heart. Right. That is a different, a whole different expanded experience, and it's also um, incredibly terrifying. It's and I, fucking I, I, terrifying! <laughs> yeah. I posted the most a video terrifying today talking about you know. One of the lessons I learned in my twenties, which I will, I'm sure, continue to learn in my thirties and my forties and on and on, which is, you know, and there's a dog in the back. Yeah, yeah, Um, (laughs) he's here. (laughs) Um, That to run towards the things that scare me instead of running away from them. You know, my growth Mm -hmm. and my expansion is on the other side of my ability to do the thing and make the choice that's scary. And it's in those moments of saying that I love you, of saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong, or initiating a hard conversation or doing the thing like leaving security and safety or the known for the unknown and the possibility. Like every time it doesn't get easier, it still feels scary.
2: No, it's the scariest shit ever. Everything the first time is scary.
1: Yeah, every time. And uh, that unknown or that upper limit of stepping into an intimacy that you've not yet known and was never modeled to you is probably the greatest unknown probably I've experienced of what I have no concept for what that might look like, but I'm trusting that it's going to carry me and it's going to hold me and it's going to be a safe place to land.
2: Yeah, that's that surrender that is uh, trusting in the universe, trusting in ourselves, trusting in our dreams, our passions, our soul, the conversation it evokes from us. the, The passions it lights us up with that we often just negate and, you know, like, hey, say that thing, do that thing. And we're like, no, no, but you can't turn down that voice in one area of your life and keep it loud in others. It's it's an all or nothing kind of thing, and it's a scary thing. I mean, I remember sitting in the car before going and doing a closing ceremony with my ex-partner, who's now my current partner again, (laughs) and we got back together. But we did this closing ceremony to just really leave our relationship with love. And I remember sitting in the car being like, I don't want to do this shit. And, and who does like a fucking, who wants to go have one of the hardest conversations that was filled with so much vulnerability and so much grace and so much pain and so much love. But I remember sitting in the car and being like, do I not want to go because it's just not in alignment or do I not want to go because it requires more of me? A part of me I don't even know exists yet. And immediately it was like, yeah, the latter. And I'm like, fuck. So I have always agreed that I will do everything I'm afraid of that asks for more of me. And so I went in and we had our conversation in one of the most expansive moments of my life. And I think when we can look at fear from that perspective, as you're saying, of like, is this genuine fear? Is this genuinely not in alignment? Or am I just afraid of my potential, my power, my possibility, my, my ability? Do I, it, a version of me I don't even know exists yet that won't till I do the thing, but I already know it's created and it's done. You know, there's like a weird feeling to that. And when I, before I ever started writing and speaking on relationships, I long wanted to. So I can't say, Hey, you got that dream and that spark. It takes a moment. It took me seven years from the first moment to, undo all the messaging and the programming. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, before I ever did, I was just so afraid. And I remember people saying, like, just leap. And the universe will catch you. Just leap. And I was like, sure, smoke some more weed. Like, (laughs) thanks. (laughs) Thanks, shaman. You know, but Mm -hmm. it was true. It's all true. And I can only say that now, having done the leaping over and over again, the leaping doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. And the leaping builds the type of person that when I say, I'm going to show you all of me, and if you leave, it's not because of me, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not because of me. And if it is maybe a bit because of me, thank you. I'm going to learn about that and I'm going to get better because sometimes it is because of me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because I am the common denominator in all, all experiences in my life. And it's an opportunity, but I think one thing I have taken, you know, from that is a lot of times taking responsibility Mm -hmm. for everything, radical responsibility, something we talk about a lot in, in this world and being responsible for all your results and your thoughts and actions particularly, but there, there's a dark shadowy side to that that i've fallen into at times in my life which is i'm also responsible for your pain i'm also responsible for your your feelings and um and then going into that guilt the guilt shame cycle as a result of that and ruminating there Mm -hmm. um and i think that's one of those codependent programs that a lot of us are are really indoctrinated into is I'm going to hold your pain and I'm going to call that love. And that's, that's kind of how I, I define it. And the more that I, even if I'm unhappy, but I'm, I'm there, like holding your pain. That's my, that's my role as a, as a partner or as a spouse or whatever. And in so many ways, it's self-abandoning and it's making ourselves wrong again for something that gets to be an opportunity for them to own and hold for themselves
2: Yeah. Amen to that. I mean, that recognizing with a compassionate lens that we learn it somewhere, you know, that, that I'm, I'm hooking in by holding your pain. I'm getting some form of certainty, some sort of worthiness. And that's how I learned how to create security. And, you know, I heard Shadine Francis. I interviewed her the other day. She's a marriage and family therapist and a sex therapist. And we were talking about self abandonment. And she said, you know, I actually don't believe in self abandonment. And I was like, "Oh, tell me more." And because I certainly think it is an act uh, that needs to be defined, because we can all relate to the word self-abandonment. I compromise mm-hmm. me for you, and that's you know the essence of the codependent part of us.
1: Right, and we'll um, call that compromise a lot of times. <laughs> right,
2: <this> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I just love and love and love, or I'm an empath. Mm-hmm. That's the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an I'm a boundaryless empath. That is a codependent person. And yep. she said something so. It was just brilliant. She said, when we self-abandon in a circumstance, it's because we're honoring another deeper survival contract. Like if I self-abandon and don't share my voice in a moment, and let's say I'm a woman and I don't share my voice in a conflict and I learned through time and no matter what lineage you look up, this is true, that if I share my voice, I might die. And that's still true in a lot of places for a lot of people that in the moment I might not share my voice in something that seems trite or trivial or not important that I'm actually self-abandoning to honor a deeper survival need. Mm. And I thought, Whoa, that is really interesting that, and I really love how that shows the multidimensional complexity to which if we don't discover what that deeper thing is, that programming will wonder what's wrong with us that we don't share in this moment Mm -hmm. as opposed to, as I said earlier, what's incredibly right with me that I'm doing this right now? Why is there brilliance that's an old program and not useful here, but I want to change it and I'm pissed off that I do this as opposed to like, wow, when you look up the family tree, you know, you were talking about looking at your mother and, you know, I've Mm -hmm. done the work of looking at my parents, both my parents. Um, and then looking at, as soon as I made them the children of parents, that changed everything for me. Mm. I I mean, I'm blessed to have parents who had, you know, I grew up safe. I grew up with a lot of love. I grew up, you know, with certain relational dynamics I've had to Mm. undo, but for the most part, I got handed a pretty, you know, small U-Haul of stuff and people get semi-trucks filled with stuff and trains. so. But as soon as I went up a couple generations, I was like, oh, here's where all of it is. There's a couple semi trucks up here um, that has been smushed into silence and not using our voice. And, you know, um, but as soon as you, you go one generation up, you humanize, which is not to give excuses for the way people show up, but it gives you context, which I find is really helpful.
1: Yeah, it is. And I'm so grateful that... Uh... My dad is a very conscious, wise man who's open to having really vulnerable conversations. And um, because it's hard, you know, when you go seeking for answers that sometime, and I'm a proponent of always saying like the answers that you seek are inside yourself, but sometimes you just need to know something that you don't know about somebody else and you need somebody to tell you that answer. Yeah, um, it unlocks it. Yeah, but... You know, it requires mom, dad or whoever up the line to be willing to have that discussion. Yeah,
2: they're not a lot of
1: time, times that will um, confront them with things they have not wanted to face or, or, you know, that they have worked really hard to create a, a perception or a persona that you think of them as and it's and they see themselves as. And it is threatening to tumble that down, you know, bring that down. If we start to be honest about what maybe went behind, happened behind closed doors or things you didn't, you know, you weren't privy to as a child. And um, so it does require that, that openness and vulnerability. And sometimes that's not always available to all of us. And um, no, it's I not. honor that for people who, who um, are in those, You know, those kind of positions, because I do feel so fortunate for being able to have those conversations.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's work from Mark Wolin who wrote uh, Why It's Not Your Fault. It Didn't Start With You. Um, inherited family trauma and how to heal it. And he's a psychologist who sort of is the OG of this work. And then there's Bridget Nielsen, who's really fun. And she's really good at making this work a little more. I mean, Mark's good at making it fun, but Bridget's just funny. So when she expresses it and walks you through and, and because, you know, there is the acknowledgement, you're not going to be safe to have all these conversations with everybody and not everyone's going to be alive to have those conversations. And there's modalities that are in both of their work that you can set yourself up to have conversations without having them, which I found really powerful. You know, one is to set up two chairs, sit in one, have a conversation with the other person and get up and get in the other chair and answer as them and tap into the gestalt. Yeah yeah exactly and great that's tool. powerful i mean yeah that's powerful to do with sitting an ex in a chair
1: mm-hmm. you
2: know and and not needing to open the door again but rather to just put yourself in their world and it's so powerful
1: mm-hmm. yeah that and i for anybody listening who doesn't know what we're referencing um actually my uh a great mentor of mine christine hassler she calls it oh the she's chair. amazing process. Yeah. Christine's incredible. Yeah. She and Steph. And I think I just saw that Steph was on your, uh, Stephanas was on your Yeah. On your Christine's
2: show. coming too. I'm excited. Right. Yes. Stephanos is incredible yeah. too.
1: Um, but Christine, she, um, will call this the empty chair process, but for, for those of you that don't know, if you're in a situation where you feel like you want to work through, you know, or have a conversation with somebody that, you haven't been able to or get closure even i think a lot of times in in breakups we want to have closure just to reinforce something we already know um you can do that just set up two chairs put yourself in one seat kind of have a dialogue with that other person or even your inner child and then sit in the seat of the other one and speak from that that point of view to give you kind of that opportunity to um to have that that discussion that you might not have been able to, and it's, it's deeply healing.
2: So powerful. And I think, you know, this Just points to the beauty of this work is like, When you free yourself from those things and you do whatever modality you feel called to, because I think that's the other neat thing is I've literally dabbled in everything and not everything yet, but so many different things. And I've gotten so much like I've healed my relationship to money. I've healed my relationship to um, food and to fitness and to, you know, I just go through sort of playing (laughs) whack-a-mole with Mm -hmm. getting to the core and... Healing inherited trauma was really powerful. I discovered stuff about my grandfather that uh, showed up in my life at the same age that some of his stuff showed up and that made me do the research about him and what happened in his life. And that is also true of looking at my father's relational patterns. At the same age, we had a similar relational pattern from his previous marriage and my my partnership when I was 20. And so, mm-hmm. and he was, was the same age. I just didn't get married. But really interesting to begin to look at the patterns because you start to see that there's just so much uh, to this world and to this experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been a really powerful conversation and I honor and. Thank you for your time and your wisdom and um, is there any any piece of advice you or word of wisdom you want to leave people with when it comes to just cultivating greater love in their life in whatever way that that comes in?
2: Yeah I mean I think all of this conversation has spoken to the the invitation to Get to know yourself, get to know the nuances of who you are, the magic that lives in the spaces you don't want to look at, the because that's where it is, you know. Is 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 in the things we don't want to see, but they're there. You know, it's like saying, But if I see them, I'm not gonna be enough. And I remember hearing Gangaji, a spiritual teacher, say, just be not enough. Mm-hmm. Just let yourself be not enough. Let out a big sigh because you're not. You'll never be enough for the identity and the creation of the expectations that you hold. And mm-hmm. I loved that advice because it just, I think collectively all of us can just go, oh, I'm not perfect. Yes, thank mm-hmm. fucking God. Because like, yeah. you know, our own imperfections embraced and invite other people to do the same. And and that really just frees us to relate in, in such a different way because we start to see our partner's imperfections with compassion and grace too. So that's, that's all I got, but it's a lot. Yeah. So, so good. Thank you so much to,
1: to chew on. And, um, yeah, so happy to have you. We'll have you back and, uh, just honor you and all your work. If you guys, um, I'm sure all of my listeners probably follow you already, but how can they get in touch with you, stay connected with you and learn more about, about your work if they, they don't know
2: yeah thank you i thank you for having me thank you for exchanging time for this conversation it means a lot that that you trust me with the people who listen to this um to you the listener thank you as well um if you feel um, in some way pulled to check out my work more you can go to create the love on instagram actually pretty much everywhere except for i'm not a tiktoker and then the other uh, i also have a podcast called the mark gross podcast and um Thank you. I just so appreciate you having me on.
1: I hope you love this episode and that it was helpful for you. If you did enjoy it, please spread the love with your friends, text them, call them, post it all over social media, whatever you do, just make sure you tag me, Coach Tori Gordon and create the love so that we can all keep getting better together.